0: Uh, This morning's reading is uh, from the Gospel of Philemon, and you'll find uh, that on the overheads and in your leaflets, and if you've picked up a Bible, it's uh, obviously in there as well. So the Gospel of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archibus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. I'm sending him, who in my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel." But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he is separated from you for a little while was that you might have given back, for, uh, given him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Ephorus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. Also to Mark, Archeus, Demos, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well,
1: uh, keep those Bibles open and uh, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for this uh, small but profound letter uh, that has been you have preserved for us. And uh, we pray this morning that as we uh, look at it and spend time in it, You'd be transforming our hearts, growing our love and appreciation for one another, uh, deepening our understanding of the bond that we share in Christ. Amen. Well, uh, sometimes relationships are like onions. There's lots of layers. Uh, When I was uh, in my first uh, assistant pastor job out of theological college, I had a wonderful but many-layered relationship with the senior pastor, Brian. Uh, Brian was my boss, my mentor, my partner in the gospel, my next-door neighbour, my daughter's godfather, my dear friend. But there was one bond that eclipsed all of those bonds and kind of permeated through and affected every single layer that we shared. See, we were both... We are both brothers in Christ. We've both been saved by Jesus, both adopted into the family of God. We both share the same Heavenly Father. And this bond eclipses every other bond. It outbonds every other bond. It outlasts every other bond. And it outdoes every other bond. And so today, Brian and I are no longer next-door neighbours. He's no longer my boss. And even if by some tragedy we ceased to continue to be friends, we would still be bound together as brothers in Christ, just as strongly as when we lived next door and passed pizzas over the fence. (coughs) So this tiny letter to Philemon is about the bond that overshadows and eclipses all other bonds. This bond that is stronger than chains, stronger than debt, stronger than slavery. This is the bond that binds us. Have a look at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. After uh, being accused of disturbing the peace by the Jews in Caesarea, Paul had appealed to go and see Caesar and state his case to Caesar. Uh, Paul was taken to Rome and he was put in a house which he rented himself uh, with a Roman guard under house arrest for a few years while waiting for his hearing with Caesar. And throughout this letter, uh, Paul uses a play on words, on the word bound. Uh, Paul describes himself literally in verse 1, bound for Christ. Christ. Now, this is significant because of who he's writing to and what he's writing about. See, Paul's writing to Philemon about someone else who is bound. Philemon's runaway slave, Onesimus. And the words, actually, that we have in English, translated as prisoner and slave, actually share the same root word. Bind, bound, bonded. See Onesimus, the slave, had tried to escape his bond to Philemon, his master. He'd run away, but while on the road, uh, on on the run in Rome, he ran into Paul, bound in chains. And just as his master Philemon had met Paul and heard the gospel and become a Christian and a follower of Jesus, so too had Onesimus. Heard the gospel, turned to Christ and been saved. And what's really interesting and profound about this little letter is not so much what Paul says but what Paul doesn't say and what Paul doesn't do. See, notice he doesn't tell Philemon, hey, I've met your old slave, he's become a Christian, so he's not your slave anymore. He doesn't say, hey Philemon, I'm keeping him here. He's been really helpful and he's a really great asset to the gospel and to me here in Rome, so uh, thanks very much. I'm not sending him back. He doesn't declare Onesimus' freedom now that he is a follower of Christ. He doesn't break that bond of slavery. I wonder how Onesimus might have responded to Paul (laughs) when as a new Christian, in that kind of high and elation of just having found Jesus and having all your sins forgiven, having your eternity locked away and hidden with Christ. I wonder how Onesimus might have responded when Paul said, okay, so now you need to go back to your master and go back to being a slave. Living in our Western world after the abolition of slavery, uh, which was actually led by Christians... Uh, in the West, it's a bit confronting to us when we come across Paul's teaching in the New Testament to slaves and masters. Paul's teaching in the New Testament doesn't actually go on the offensive against slavery. It doesn't tell slaves to stop being slaves and fight for their freedom. It doesn't tell masters to release their slaves from the bonds. Actually, in Ephesians 6, Paul tells slaves to obey their earthly masters as they would obey Christ. Paul tells slaves to be better slaves, more faithful slaves, more hard-working slaves, slaves who work for the good of their master. And here... Paul sends a slave back to his master. He seeks Philemon's consent. Have a look at verse 14. He's still treating Onesimus as a slave bound to his master Philemon. I think we find this a little bit shocking and surprising. But actually it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, look at Paul. (laughs) Paul had knowingly, willingly... Embraced bondage for the sake of Jesus. When Paul came to Christ and found freedom in Jesus, he gave up his earthly freedom to be a slave of Jesus. He willingly put his hand up. He actually didn't need, when he appealed to Caesar, uh, the Roman uh, governor said to him, You know, if you hadn't appealed to Caesar, I could have let you go free. Paul knew that. He has willingly embraced bondage for the sake of Jesus, bound as a prisoner. And in his first letter to Corinthian church, Jesus actually said, uh, Paul actually says, well, Jesus, who I follow, knowingly and willingly allowed himself to be bound, to be imprisoned, to be flogged, to be strapped and nailed and bound to a wooden cross and killed for the sake of all who would turn to him. It shouldn't surprise us that Paul calls Onesimus to go back to his master because Paul, like his master Jesus, willingly chose to be bound for the sake of cross. Now um, Keely and I have been watching a series at the moment. It's got a bit of a bad rap. I actually, I thought I would hate it and I've kind of steered clear of it and and from what I hear it gets dodgier towards the end but uh, we started watching The Chosen uh, which is a Hollywood series on Jesus Um, and uh, it's got a fair bit of artistic license. Uh, They kind of add backstories that you know, they're just made up, you know, we don't have the backstories. Uh, but, you know, that kind of gets you to kind of feel the, the culture and the times and the tension of that, uh, what was going on in the first century. Um, and there was a scene the other day uh, where uh, one of the disciples, Thomas, his fiancée, uh, her dad is really concerned uh, that his daughter is going to go and marry this guy who's just walked away from everything to follow Jesus. And he goes to Jesus to talk to Jesus about it and express his concern at letting his daughter go. And Jesus gives this response. He says, I understand. I ask a lot of those who follow me. That's a huge understatement, really, isn't it? (laughs) It kind of drives home, doesn't it? Because actually, when we look at the Gospels, Jesus said it a whole lot more clearly than that, didn't he? Jesus actually told us that unless we deny ourselves, take up our cross, bind ourselves to a life of suffering, of laying down our life, of bondage, of death, then we have no part with him. In another letter that Paul wrote while in prison to the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, no one was ever free like Jesus was free. He was on the throne in heaven and yet he submitted himself to bondage. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave. He, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent God, bound himself into a human body and then allowed himself to be bound and led away And killed for those he loves. So I just want us to pause and reflect here that whatever we think about slavery as an institution, I want us to stop and just see here in this letter with these two people that it shows us just how radical it is to follow Jesus. See, the gospel flips our idea of what is free on its head. This slave who tasted freedom is so transformed by Jesus that he would willingly go back to his old master and become a slave again. He's so convinced that Jesus is worth giving up every worldly thing for, even his own freedom that he's prepared to be a slave for Jesus. And I wonder, would we go back? If you were Onesimus, you've just heard the gospel, would you go back? See, we, just like Onesimus, have chosen Christ. He's chosen us. But we haven't chosen the smooth or the easy option We've actually chosen in following him, we've chosen to lay down our lives, to lay down our freedom. Jesus said in Matthew 10, whoever finds their life will lose it. What he means is if if we're worried about holding on to our freedom, our earthly, shallow, temporary freedom, we actually lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. See, Onesimus, who'd found his life, his earthly life, his earthly freedom, when he escaped slavery, actually found real life in Jesus, true freedom. And he was prepared to lose his life of freedom here on earth for the sake of Jesus. Jesus. That's radical, isn't it? In a world and an age when fighting for our rights is kind of the the fundamental, absolute baseline of being human, well, Jesus calls us to lay down our rights. In a world that cries for freedom, Jesus actually calls us to bondage, to slavery, to lay down our lives. See, when we realise, like Onesimus, what we gain in Christ, we realise that what we give up isn't that much at all. It's the bond, the bond that binds us. See, the sign of someone who's found life is a willingness to lay their life down. A conviction it's better to be a slave for Jesus than free without him. And we can be slaves, we can be prisoners, we can be in poverty, we can be refugees, we can be outcasts, because we have Jesus, because we're God's children. It's this bond that transcends every earthly bond. It's the bond that transcends. Have a look at verse 15. Paul says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you a little while, Philemon, was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. See, Paul's main concern is that Philemon embraced Onesimus as a brother in Christ. Paul isn't telling him that Onesimus shouldn't be his slave anymore, but he's saying that actually slave and master is no longer the central, fundamental essence of their relationship to each other. Their strongest bond together is no longer the bond of slave and master, but the strongest eclipsing, pervading, transcending bond between Philemon and Onesimus is brother and brother. And so, actually, whether or not Onesimus remains bound to him as a slave, it it kind of doesn't really matter. It's kind of neither here nor there. Because now they are brothers in Christ. And that eclipses every other layer of their relationship. It transforms and permeates through every other layer of their relationship. It changes their relationship. See, Paul wants uh, Philemon to see Onesimus in a completely different light, as a brother who he'll spend eternity with, not just a slave who flogged his big-screen TV and ran off. Now, um, you know when you go to a party and you meet people you don't know? And uh, it's, it's interesting when you do the introductions is that, uh, you know, some, someone introduces you, you know, the, the host of the party, the person whose birthday or wedding it is, introduces you to someone else. It's always interesting how they introduce you, isn't it? It kind of, how they introduce you says something about how they see, what is the fundamental connection we have here? What's the fundamental bond we have in this relationship. Uh, if they introduce me as, you know, oh, this is Scott, He's, you know, this is my best mate Scott, that says something, doesn't it, about how they see our relationship, how they see the bond that we have. Uh, if they say, oh, oh, this is Scott, you know, we played hockey once and I thought we were best friends for life, you know, that actually says something about our relationship. It's, you know, they don't see it the same way I see it. If they say, oh, look, this is Scott, he's married to Keeley. You know, that says something, you know. I'm just the ring-in who's here by necessity. Well, what Paul is saying to Philemon, I want you to think about Onesimus at the forefront of your mind, at the core of your relationship, not as slave and master, but as brothers in Christ. Bound together in him for all eternity, adopted by our heavenly father. Family. So that when when you introduce Onesimus to someone at a party, you don't say, Oh, this is Onesimus, one of my slaves. You say, This is Onesimus, my dear brother in Lord. And any distinction of slave or owner doesn't even matter. That when people find out, oh. Actually, he's his slave. They don't act like it. He loves him like a brother. He treats him like an equal. Like Brian, who I mentioned uh, in the intro. It doesn't actually erase the other layers. Brian was still, even though he's my brother in Christ, it didn't change the fact that he was my boss, uh, it didn't change the fact uh, that you know, when he gave me instructions about my, my work, I needed to obey him. But it did mean that the f- primary and foremost way I needed to relate to him is as a brother in Christ, a brother who also happens to be my boss, a brother who happens to be Onesimus's master, a brother who happens to be one of Philemon's bondservants. It doesn't erase the other layers. It eclipses them and transcends them and and transforms them. In uh, one of Paul's other letters to a nearby church in Galatia, in chapter 3 of Galatians, uh, Paul says this, In Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ." There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that we cease (laughs) to be Jew or Gentile or male or female or slave or master. It just means that it's so eclipsed by this new reality, this new bond that we share as children of God, as brothers and sisters, that those things hardly matter anymore. They're inconsequential. They're still there. They're still real. They're just not the most important thing. And as he speaks to the church in Ephesus, as he calls slaves to obey their earthly masters as they would obey Christ, he calls masters to treat his slaves as brothers. Do not threaten them, he said, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There's no favouritism with him. See, so at the end of the day, we share one master. Master, slave, boss, employee, father, child, grandmother. We have one master. And within those relationships and those layers that we have, we must treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, with a master who is watching from heaven. It's interesting, actually, that Paul's only clear command is in verse 17. Have a look. He says to Philemon, If you consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. This is quite profound, easy to miss, but Paul's saying that actually in Christ, the runaway, thieving, returning slave deserves the same welcome as one of Jesus' hand-picked apostles because they're both brothers in Christ. It means that on a Sunday morning, that, that, that punk kid uh, who gives you grief in kids' church and then comes down and, and steals all the chocolate biscuits before any of the adults can get to them and, and, and is rude and kind of runs through the middle of your feet. They actually deserve the same welcome and love and treatment as a visiting missionary. They're both brothers and sisters in Christ. And it means the elderly believer with dementia deserves the exact same welcome and treatment as a world-renowned preacher. They're both brothers and sisters in Christ. And the humblest, lowliest Christian, the battler, deserves the same welcome and love as the most venerated and respected Christian leader or pastor. They're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ. What does that look like for us? In our church, in our friendships, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, how do we relate with all the layers that there are? How do we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? Is that primary, fundamental, eclipsing bond Is that what drives and shapes and guides the way we treat one another? Do we think of each other first and foremost as brother and sister in Christ? And then boss. Brother and sister in Christ and then wife. Then husband. Then friend. Then pastor. Then neighbour. Then business partner. Then his brother and sister bond that we share at the forefront of our mind and the way we treat each other. Well, if that's not, why don't you just stop today and think about, well, what would change? Yeah, I've got this Christian at work. They kind of really annoy me. (laughs) I've kind of been treating them just like a colleague. What would change if I treated them like a dearly beloved brother who I will spend eternity with? Yes, my wife's driving me crazy. (laughs) Actually, that's terrible. I should have said my husband because I'm the one that drives Keely crazy. Yes, we're husband and wife. But actually, more than that, more fundamental and central than being joined as husband and wife, we're brother and sister in Christ. And how am I building up and encouraging my wife to keep following Jesus so that we'll spend all eternity together? Well, it's the bond that binds us. Uh, It's the bond that transcends all other bonds. Uh, And it's a bond that doesn't come out of compulsion but out of love because it's the bond that motivates us. Have a look at verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold, I could order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Verse 13. I would have liked to keep Onesimus with me so that he could take your place, Philemon, in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. See, Paul doesn't order Philemon. He doesn't pull out the apostle card. If you notice in this letter, it's, it's, it's quite rare, is that it's a letter where Paul never actually mentions that he's an apostle. He could, he says, give an order. He could give a direct command. And actually often he does in many of his letters. But here he appeals on the basis of love. See, when we realise the significance of what Christ has done for us, the significance of what it means to be a brother to the Son of God, to be a child of the Father, then that transforms us to love and welcome brothers and sisters in Christ that we'll spend eternity with. See, Paul wants Philemon to do the right thing out of his own love and free will. But notice here, he doesn't just send Onesimus back and expect that everything will go well. He doesn't send Onesimus back and stay silent He doesn't expect Philemon to do the right thing without any help or encouragement. He writes this letter. He sends this letter. He invests himself in their relationship. He intervenes in their relationship, not in a triangulating kind of intrusive way, but he actually sees that the relationship and the reconciliation between his two brothers, matters to him. It is his business. He needs to invest in it. Because when a brother and a sister are in broken fellowship, that affects all of us within the family. Actually, Paul even offers out of his own pocket to pay Onesimus' debt. He is invested in seeing these two brothers restored. Notice he even brings in the leaders of the church. Actually, he brings in the whole church because the relationship between two of God's people matters to the whole family. And I think this is actually really helpful for us to hear that actually we can't, as God's people stand back and watch and do nothing when we see brothers and sisters in a broken relationship that needs mending. Actually, we have to invest ourselves in lovingly, wisely helping and encouraging them to embrace one another. We don't do that just by ordering, although sometimes there comes a time after the encouragement, after the gentle word. We do that by helping each other see the bond that we share in Christ and by calling each other to love. That's quite significant when you think about all the different layers of relationships that we have. As brothers and sisters in Christ, as brothers and sisters by blood, as parents as spouses, as friends, as colleagues. We need to be invested, not to sit back, but to help one another love each other as the brothers and sisters that we are. Now, as we close, I just I want to ask you to look around. Look at each other. Smile as you do, so you know, but look around at the people in this room. Come, Bob, turn around. Look at these people around. <laughs> we are all our brothers and sisters. We are forever bound to spend eternity with each other. Don't worry, it'll be better once we've been risen and we don't sin anymore. It'll be you know, be wonderful then. <laughs> Let us love And welcome and treat one another as the brothers and sisters that we are. Willing to be bound for the sake of Jesus and motivated by love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have adopted us as your children. That you have bound us to yourself through your son and by your spirit. And thank you that in doing so you've bound us to each other. We don't go through life on our own. We go through as a family, as a body, as a unit that needs one another to encourage and build each other up. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us first and foremost to see and relate to each other as the beloved brothers and sisters in Christ that we are. Amen.